Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. I always am intrigued when uh, Nikki says she's excited about the sermon. I'm like, you haven't even heard it yet. What do you have to be excited about? But she did read the scripture because she put it in the computer that will be on the screen behind me. But if you have a Bible, one of those cool ones that has pages, or perhaps the digital form on your phone or tablets, you can turn to the book of Romans. Now, there are some scholars out there, smart people, people who know the word really well, And uh, they like to play games like everybody else. They're not all business when it comes to the Bible. And they'll every now and then play those kinds of games like, hey, if you were on a desert island, what book would you bring? And, you know, we've all played that. What food would you have? What person would you be with? All that kind of stuff. But then they took it one step further, and they're like, well, you can't say the Bible as the book that you would bring. And then they took it even further and said, if there was one of the 66 books that we have inside of Scripture which of the books would you like to bring with you to that desert island where you'll be deserted at? And you're like, I feel like it's going to be a bad deal because I'm going to be deserted on this desert island. But if I had to bring a book, some scholars would say they would bring Romans. Now, Romans is this book in the New Testament that is Paul. This guy writing whose name is Paul, he, he is a bit of a theologian. He writes a lot of the New Testament. Some of the letters that we read quite often are attributed to him. So he's got a lot to say But the book of Romans is his magnum opus. This is the one that he gave everything to. It is dense. It is thick. It takes years to just meander your way through and understand all that Paul was trying to say. Because Romans is thick. It may not seem so in Scripture. It just looks like a few pages. Only has 16 chapters. I'm still trying to figure out why they included 16 like the 16th one. It just seems like a bunch of lists and throwaway phrases, but it means something. Today, though, we're moving into Romans chapter 8. And those same Bible scholars would say, if I was going to take one book of the Bible to that desert island, I would take Romans. But if I was going to take one chapter within the book of Romans, of these 16 chapters of this letter, they would take Romans 8. So that's where we just happen to be today. But it is Trinity Sunday, and I don't want this to be missed on you. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost, and we had some guest speakers, our friends David and Randall Arujo, who are planning a church in downtown L.A., and they told us about this idea of being poured out for people. As the Spirit pours out into us, we have an opportunity to pour out to one another. But this idea of the Spirit is not just for one Sunday. And so today is Trinity Sunday on the church calendar. You didn't know that. You didn't get your Trinity card. I get it from the grocery store or wherever you needed to send it to someone. But you still have time, okay? But it's Trinity Sunday. I know we, get, we, we remember the big ones like Christmas and Easter. But don't forget about Trinity Sunday. What's the point about Trinity Sunday? Is that we want to remember God in all three persons. We understand the idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But another way to understand that is God is creator, God is redeemer, and God is still the Holy Spirit, the one that comes with us wherever we go. So put yourself in my position when you come to Trinity Sunday and we have the lectionary readings to decide which one we will focus on. I've already given my hat away a little bit, or my cards, and told you that we're going into Romans chapter 8, but there were three other great choices to choose from, and I think they're on the screen for you. 
You had um, a psalm, Psalm 29 was available, Isaiah chapter 6, and John chapter 3. Now these are classics. If you look at John chapter 3 alone, you already know that that one includes the most famous verse in all of scripture that everyone and their mother knows. Literally everyone and their mother. So they know that it's John 3.16, but I feel like I can't do that one just because Weeks ago, I dealt with that one because it showed up in the lectionary reading when we talked about that moment where Moses was holding the stick up that had the serpent wrapped around it, and he was told by God that because the people sinned and they're being bitten by snakes, if you hold the snake up and everyone looks on it, they'll get healed. Because that's what Jesus was using as a backdrop metaphor and understanding for why he goes to the cross. Because he goes to the cross. Everyone looks on him and can get healed. So I feel like I dealt with that one, and so I I put it over in this category. This was Monday on my life. I'm like, I don't know about John. I just, I feel like I dealt with it. But it's such a beautiful story because there's more to it. He interacts with this guy named Nicodemus. In the middle of the night, Nicodemus doesn't even want to go in broad daylight to go talk to Jesus because he is one of those really smart people in town. He's one of those religious leaders. He's the one that knows the ins and outs of scripture, but he's amazed by Jesus. And he goes in the middle of the night, and I told my kids I would tell a dad joke today, and Nicodemus goes in the middle of the night to talk to Jesus. It's a little bit like Nick at night. Anybody? Can I get an amen? Okay, I feel like I'm just out there by myself. There you go. That's done. So John 3 is over here. Now we have uh, Psalm 29. It's a great read. Talks about the glory and majesty and amazingness of who God is. But I just wasn't sensing that Psalm 29 was where I wanted to head this week. And then Isaiah 6, literally Tuesday and Wednesday and even parts of Thursday, I thought Isaiah chapter 6 was it. Isaiah chapter 6 is crazy. This is the moment where Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament tells a story about in the year that King Uzziah died. And many of you remember the year that King Uzziah died, don't you? Right around 740 B.C. or B.C.E., depending on your dating system. It's a long time ago. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne and the train of his robe as isaiah talks about fills the temple now every good jewish person knew where the temple was many times they would pray in that direction they knew that you always go up to jerusalem regardless of where you come from they knew that jerusalem had importance because the temple was there and this was the place that god met his people but in this vision that isaiah has he sees the majesty and the glory of god coming together in this temple where not even the train of God's robe fills it all. And Isaiah, like every other person, would have just thought, I am so small and insignificant. And there are these crazy flying beings that show up in Isaiah chapter 6. They're called seraphim, and they have six wings. We don't have six-winged things that fly, and I wish we did, because then you would get it. Because with two, they cover their eyes with two, it tells us that they cover their feet, but if we were to have a real Bible study, we would understand that it's not just feet that they're covering, things that don't bring glory and honor and sometimes shame to us. That's what they're covering, if you get my metaphor. They're covering themselves, okay? We get that? Okay, I feel like the crowd's tough this morning. Okay, so two, they're covering, two, they're covering, and then two, they're flying. So six wings all going on. And they're saying something that we sang in an early worship song today. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The song that we sang said, we cry holy, holy. 
Because when you come in the contact of who God is, it's his majesty and his, his glory that floors us, that blows us away. If you could imagine what it would mean to show up and actually be in God's presence, it would blow you away. It's why when even the people in the Old Testament, like Moses, who says, I want to see you, will you walk by me? And God says, that will not be good for you. So I will, I will walk by you and cover you so you can't, but then when I pass by you, you will see me going. And I feel like that's where we're always seeing God. We're always seeing him going at times, and many of us are trying to catch up. So Isaiah chapter 6 is amazing. Isaiah figures out that God is so majestic and amazing and good that he is not. And he's like, woe is me. I am unclean. I'm a person of unclean lips. What can I possibly do? And in a metaphor that stands the test of time, there are these burning coals on the altar that would have been found in the temple. And one of these seraphim goes over and grabs it with tongs and comes over and touches Isaiah's lips. And they, are, they say, you are clean. Because it's at the altar of sacrifice that we become clean. It's at the altar of sacrifice if we remember what Jesus does on the cross so long ago that we are made clean. And then, in the twist of events at the end of Isaiah chapter 6 of that pericope, that section of scripture, in verse 8, the question goes before, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? That's the Lord speaking. And I imagine the setting, Isaiah, who's amazed by his his being in the presence of who God is. He's just been cleaned on the lips with this coal. And I know it's crazy imagery. We don't deal with it all the time. And these seraphim that are these six-winged animals that are flying around and the majesty of it all, there's a question that God says, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And I imagine Isaiah doing this. I think he means someone else. Until the awkward silence was so awkward that Isaiah had to say, here, I am, here am I, you can send me. And I feel like that's how it is sometimes with God, that we want other people to act. We want other people to be the hands and feet of Jesus when Jesus is looking at us and saying, who will I send? Who will go for us? So I put Isaiah over here because it's just such a good story, and I retold it right there. I was the free version. Um, you'll have to pay for more after that later. But then I landed in Romans chapter 8, and I couldn't shake what was being said in these six verses, 12 through 17. And so as you turn in Romans chapter 8, we're going to read this, and I'm going to do my best to just walk you through some things that I have been reading and studying and mulling over this week as it has been marinating in my soul what God is saying in this passage so he says in romans chapter 8 verse 12 therefore brothers and sisters we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live for those who are led by the spirit of god are the children of god the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. 
and daughtership. The word that Paul uses there does not exclude women, by the way. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, there is so much going on right there. Paul has the audacity to reach back into the history of the Jewish people and remind them of the things that they knew all too well. When he said things like adoption, they knew about that one. When he says things like slavery, oh, that was their story. Every good Jew would have known the story of the day that they were slaves in Egypt, a land not their own. And Paul is bringing that out as he speaks to his friends and even to unknown people in the city of Rome. But if I was Paul, I would be wondering if more than just the people in Rome would read these words. And obviously, a couple thousand years later, we're still reading them. Because they, they go beyond a geographical border. What Paul is, is kind of peering into in this section is reminding the people that say, I'm a Christian or a follower of Jesus, that you are also children of God. But sometimes it is hard to live in that reality because we don't always feel it. We always wonder, do I have to earn God's love? Do I have to pay him off somehow? Do I have to go to church enough so that not just my mom gets off my back, but also God? What is it that I have to do to get in? Which is actually the question that Nicodemus at Nick at night in John chapter 3 is asking Jesus. What is it that I must do? And Jesus says crazy things like, well, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I know how people are born. What do you mean? Do I have to get back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no. And Nicodemus probably said, phew, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And Jesus is reminding him, it is not just by your actions that you get into relationship with God. It's actually an identity that you already have. And would we live into that reality, into that identity? And so as Paul is reminding his people, and he writes here, that your identity as children of God bears more weight than you think. There is an emphasis there that sometimes we miss because we live in a world that is always trying to earn our way into anything. It is the end of the school year. Some of you have finished. Some of you are about to finish. My daughter, who is next door, who begs me never to talk about her in a sermon, you can figure out which one that is, is scared about finals week this week at high school. It's her first year in high school, and she's stressing. Because we set up systems in this world that your value and your worth is based upon how you're tested, right? Ah, you got to pass the test. We know how it works. And sometimes we ascribe that same mentality to God, like I've got to pass the test for God to actually like me or give me a good grade. But what Paul is speaking here into reality for the people to understand is that our identity in Christ as his kids is already there. We are tempted towards the ways of slavery, but he is calling us into this understanding of adoption. And adoption is an interesting thing. Because we hear about stories, there are stories in this church about adoption. And then I had a, a conversation with my friend Kathy, who um, this week told me that she, she lives up in Northern California, and uh, 
were ne never ever ha able to have kids, birth kids of her own. And so she and her husband decided to adopt not one, not two, not three, not four, but five kids. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. And so this week, her kids are a little older, and uh, they're doing assignments from school because everyone's trying to finish the school year. Everyone's in that mode right now. And one of her kids was reading scripture for an assignment. And you're like, oh, they must be really spiritual. No, it was just literally an assignment. So you just had to do some reading, and she chose, the daughter chose um, Exodus, which I thought was amazing, right? Like Exodus, like we're hearing about the story of slavery that Paul mentions in Romans 8, and he remembers for the people to bring them back into this. You are not slaves, you got out of it. But the story in Exodus that this daughter was reading of my friend Kathy in her house in San Bruno, California, was reading a section when Moses was put into the water. Do you remember the story way back in the beginning of Exodus where his mother knew that Pharaoh was out to kill all the youngborn, and so she places Moses in a basket, and he sails down the river. Actually, not sails. That's a bad use of the word. There were no sails on it. He just floats down the river until it comes to the portion of the river next to the palace, no doubt, where Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river, sees what this thing is that's crying, opens up the lid, notices it's a baby, has an option of sending it downriver, sees it's a Hebrew boy, and also has the option of killing it, but takes it from the river, draws him from the river, which is why he has the name Moses. And that's the story before Moses does all the other stuff. And as my friend Kathy was listening to her daughter read this portion of story in Exodus, Kathy says, what made Moses' mom such a great woman, women, a woman of faith? And her daughter, without skipping a beat, without hesitation, said, oh, because she took him from the water and she adopted him. Like, did she get the answer right? Because Moses' mom was the one who put him in the river, but she saw it from the angle of the woman who adopted him. And I'm like, that's it. That's so powerful to have this understanding and concept as someone who had been adopted to read the book of Exodus and realize that what God is up to in our life is reminding us of our place in his family and saying it doesn't matter where you come from, your background, what you look like, your shape, your size, whatever, you are welcome into his kingdom because he is in the business of adopting us. And adoption for the ancient world carries what we understand it today, but sometimes even in different nuances. The, probably one of the most famous stories of adoption that would have been known at this time when Paul was writing in the city of Rome to his friends in Rome would have been the story of Julius Caesar and his adopted nephew. If you remember that from your history class, when Julius Caesar knew that he had no heirs, he just took his nephew, adopted him, and gave him all that it meant to be his son. So Augustus grows up knowing that my uncle is the Caesar, the ruler, the king, but I'm going to be it next. And this idea of adoption means that you fully have standing with God. It does not mean that you are a second-class person, that you're in another category. You're like, I guess you get in. And this is what, what Paul is doing right to the heart of the Jewish people left and right that says even though we have been the people of God, actually God's people are everywhere. And he's calling them back to the family. 
But I also know about adoption. Because in an, in an interesting way, I was. Um, I'm going to tell a story. I'm not sure how I'm going to get through it. If you were to go back to 1990, 1991, you would see me as a 10 or 11-year-old boy who really had no relationship with his grandparents. My dad's dad had died before I was born. My dad's mom, we had seen her, but I think the distance of our travel and my dad's calling in life as a Navy chaplain, we just moved everywhere and there was just nothing, not, not much there. There was the regular cursory moments. And then on my mom's side, again, just distance kept us from having those moments. So like for me, it was like the grandparent call was always the awkward moment where mom was like, hey, come here and get on the phone and talk to your grandparents. And it was more obligation than relationship. I don't know if you have these relationships in your life that are like that. But when I was 10 or 11 years old, my family moved to a new town and I found my grandma. And she was at this church that we went to. And she's here today. And she um, sh showed me what it's like to love you, um, even when you don't deserve it as a 10 or 11-year-old boy. Um, she and her husband, Milt, uh, my, my, my grandma, who I literally call Grandma Pat, um, has loved me since I was that young. If you want to hear stories about Brenton when he was lame and stupid and didn't know anything, you should hear her stories. But I could go to her house and I could go to the fridge without asking. That's what it means to be in relationship. When you don't have to earn the right to the fridge or any other place in the house, I remember she took me on vacation. She took me on my very first RV trip. And I love going on RV trips because of what I was taught and what I was given. And I, I have been adopted into her family, and she has loved me. It is so good to see you today. She's out from Indiana and just living it up because she is a California girl at heart. But Indiana is where some of her family, other members of her family are. And so she, it makes sense for her to be there. But, oh, this is a treat this week to have Grandma in town. Because I have felt what it means to be adopted into that, into that love. And sometimes it takes a church to be that for many of us. Because many of us have those missing people in our lives, those holes, those relationships that aren't there that the world tells you that you're supposed to have. And sometimes it's the beauty of a church that says, well, you may not have that grandparent, but I'll be that for you right now. Like some of you drop your kids off next door to my parents who are hanging out with the kids, the little kids. Like they are everybody's grandparent at this church. Like so if you need a grandparent, I will lend you mine, my parents. Like take them and use them because they just want to pass that kind of love on. But if you're missing those relationships, that is what a local church is all about anyway. And so when Paul is speaking to the people in Rome, he's not only calling them into this reality that we have standing before God as his kids, but he is going on a rampage throughout this entire letter reminding the people that we must tell everybody wherever we go because of the cross of Christ, we have hope today and ultimately hope for tomorrow. That yes, we experience sufferings now, but it's not anything like he did. But because we go through the suffering moments today, 
we have hope. And that changes everything. So when I read this passage, it has new meaning for me this week. I hear the story of Kathy, my friend, whose daughter read that portion of Exodus and flares out, oh, she was a woman of faith because she adopted him. Some of you need to be reminded of your standing before a holy God. Because if, like, Isaiah gets anything right, he knows that God is too holy to get close to. But it's what God does for us that allows us to get close. And sometimes in our relationships, sometimes people know us by our relationships, by our family members, and that's either a good thing or a bad thing. But I would ask, and here's the challenging part for me, and I'm going to invite you into the challenging part because misery loves company and I don't want to be alone. I don't want God to just speak to me through Romans chapter 8. I want him to affect you. And when you leave this place, I want you to be challenged. Is that when we think ourselves as kids of God, my question for myself and for you is does the world know that? Do we resemble who God is wherever we go? Does it shape the way that we live, the actions that we do, and the words that we say? And if we get anything right here at Refuge, we want to proclaim who God is in his majesty, in his glory, in his awesomeness. But we also want to remind the world of that wherever we are. We can check the box off and say, I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm a Christian. But until the world sees that in us, they haven't seen him yet. So yes, he is everywhere, but he wants you and he wants me to show him off wherever we go. May we take the words of Paul this morning and our secure footing as members of God's family and put in away the old stories of slavery and sin that has kept us from God and lean more into this adoption moment where we get whatever is coming to us because God says, you're on the list. Your name is on the list, and I'm going to keep it there. There's an interesting phrase here that this version of the New Testament, or this version of the New Testament that is translated by the NIV scholars in verse 12, and if you can put it up, you can see it. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Now, that's a very gentle way to put it. If you read other versions of Scripture, you'll hear it say, we have a debt. We have an obligation. We have a debt. I don't know what the language is that works for you. But because the debt has been paid for me, I owe my life to the one that has paid the price. And I want to live it this week. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you're doing this week. But God is on display by what you do and what you say. And so let's show the king off this week. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for a morning like this where we get to open up your word. We do not take that lightly. There are brothers and sisters of ours around the world that do not have this pleasure and this privilege. They do it in hiding. They do it in secret because your word scares the world. But it brings life for those who allow their hearts and their minds to open up to it. So God, would the words of the Apostle Paul challenge every single one of us this week that we see our standing before you as secure because you have adopted us. 
You are the one that has plucked us out of the water. You're the one that has given us meaning and value. You have reminded us of who we are. And for those in the room who are struggling, those who are watching online, would you meet them where they're at today? And would the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ be welcomed into their heart today? So God, I pray for all of us as we make your name known, as we put you on display this week, may people know who you are because they get a chance to know who we are. And may the words that we say, the actions that we do, reflect your kingdom because you are a good and holy and amazing God. And we want everybody to know about you because you are awesome. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand? Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.